Every industry has its unsung heroes, and the film, TV, radio industry has many such people. Today's guest is Chris Tester of Naturally RP, a British voiceover artist based in London. And if you want to find out what he does and how he does it, then join me after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film and a favourite single or album and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Hi Chris, welcome to the Cashflow Show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're most welcome. Well, I've given you a very dramatic introduction, shall I say. Um, I'm trying to do my best sort of, now that I know that what you do, I'm trying to do my best Morgan Freeman and I know it's going to fail dramatically. Um, oh, it's very good. It's very good. <laughs> Don't go hard on yourself. Yeah. But I will keep trying. So Chris, tell us what you do at Naturally RP. Sure, of course. Thank you. So I'm a voiceover artist. I have been a full-time voiceover artist since 2017. As a voiceover artist, I basically provide voice recordings for a whole variety of different things. So that may be in the B2B and B2C spheres. So it may be promos for your business. It may be explainer videos. It may be an e-learning course or some form of educational content that you need narrating to guide either customers or other employees through a particular kind of program. And then it goes very, very wide into the realms of documentary and documentary filmmaking and narration, which is something that I'm particularly passionate about, to audiobooks to a degree, uh, and also video game characters in animation. So no one day is ever the same, which is kind of the blessing of my job in that I can go from uh, narrating a very exciting explainer video about how cement is made, <laughs> straight through voicing, you know, some form of undead demon for the Warhammer universe. So yeah, variety is very definitely the spice of life. And it's something that I've learned to embrace over the last six years now. Yeah. Six years of doing different voices and different characterizations. How did you get started? Because this seems like a dream for a lot of people who feel that they have, in inverted commas, a good voice. Mm. How did you get started in your role? So for me, I mean, the thing to say about voice acting as a career is that there is no one way into it, especially, I think, over the pandemic. Um, where everybody was stuck at home uh, and speaking into computers anyway, there seemed to be an explosion of interest in as well in, because technology has meant that it's much more feasible for people to be able to record from home. It kind of became a revelation to me that this was kind of like possible in probably about 2015 and 2016, when I realized that actually a lot of voiceover artists do record from home now and home studios were a thing. My own particular background is very much from an acting point of view. 
So I went to university. And then from that, I then trained for three years at the Central School of Speech and Drama, now called the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. So I did a conservatoire three-year actor training, of which voice acting was a small part. But the idea being is that you train specifically in theatre, and it's a very traditional approach to acting training in that they think that if you can do theatre, then you can do anything, darling. Um, uh, you know, then you can do the film and you can do, you know, all of the the lesser arts. They never say the lesser arts, but that was the idea. Do the hardest first and then work from there. And so I did a little bit of dabbling in voiceover stuff and got some very nice feedback, I think, because my voice is quite low from my age then. And probably that was about it as opposed to any level of articulacy. And then subsequently, there's a competition that all the drama schools run called the Carlton Hobbs Award, which is every school picks a team of four students to kind of represent them. And the final two out of all of the drama schools get a six-month contract in BBC Drama, which is a fantastic opportunity, obviously, especially for a graduating fledgling actor. So I didn't win that. I got commended, but I didn't win it. And then it all kind of went on the back burner as I tried to get my head around life as an actor generally and just scrabbling for work and dealing with how to do my own taxes, which strangely, <laughs> they didn't have any preparation at all on, which is still the bane of my existence. And anyway, that's why you outsource it. So I then kind of like mainly worked in theatre. And that's partly because it was my passion, but it's also because the work that generally found me. And I would occasionally get the odd bit of uh, voiceover work from my acting agent at the time. So it would be come in and I can remember the very first uh, voiceover job I did was for a video game called Dark Souls, which is uh, ridiculously hard. And it's all about kind of demons and uh, all of that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so... So I can remember sitting, waiting in the, in the waiting room for my audition, and there was there was Patrick Stewart, uh, just kind of like sitting there, kind of going through some lines, and then I kind of like turned around, and there was another guy called William Houston who graduated from Central about you know twenty years before me, who I'd seen like playing these major roles at the RSC, and I was like, oh bloody hell, <laughs> um, I, I, you might need some proper acting chops for this kind of thing, and then I really enjoyed the freedom, and I really enjoyed the fact that it you it didn't matter what you looked like, really. Uh, and you didn't need to learn the lines. That's always an advantage. You could just rock up and be creative in that kind of like space. So that was how it kind of like started. But it was only really when I did, there were a couple of different kind of like courses that I did in my own time. And there was one called the voiceover kickstart, which I, I think still runs, where it educated me about the other sides of it, which were there's the performance side of it, and then there's also the marketing side of it and there's the technical side of it. The, these three very big kind of like separation. Mm -hmm. And maybe I had a bit of a head start in terms of having some acting training, uh, though that isn't essential by any stretch of the imagination. But the technical side didn't have a clue and the marketing side I didn't have a clue. So that's what that course kind of like started for me was like, first of all, could I set up from home? You know, could I deal with acoustics and, you know, setting up my microphone and my preamp, which powers my microphone and connects it to my computer and all of the editing kind of things? And what effects could I put on my voice? Could I get achieve a really nice quality of sound? And then the other thing is obviously the entrepreneurial aspect, which is like, okay, great. You're there, you exist, and it might be of a certain quality now, but 
where's the work? Where's the jobs? Where's the opportunity? And whereas I think the vast majority of actors tend to, well, they, they, they try not to kind of like wait for the phone to ring. But certainly in terms of voice acting, it's kind of like, oh, it's a nice little extra bonus if I go into Soho and I go into my, I get my flat white and I also have my, my water so I'm not dehydrated, <laughs> you know, and I wander in and there are lots of people, you know, milling around waiting for me to do my amazing stuff and we all have kind of like chat and hopefully it all goes okay uh, and it lasts all of about 15 minutes and then you and then you get out and that's it but other than that I didn't know where that work existed and so that course kind of like started the ball rolling in terms of out maybe you know creating a website so that you had a presence and then getting eyes and more specifically ears onto that website in order to be able to start building your own client list essentially and that's what i did i kind of like started with you know good traditional old email marketing um and continue to this day to do that as well as you know presence on social media as well as creating educational content and online courses as well for people who are interested in voice acting and presentation generally to try and start to build a bit of a, a reputation and uh, my business is called naturally rp just to unpack that for anybody who goes what on earth does that mean? RP refers to my accent, which is received pronunciation, which is again, I mean, accents change all of the time. One version of RP is different to another version of RP, and these all change over time anyway. But received pronunciation, kind of Southern, relatively neutral. A father coming from Bognor Regis and uh, a mother coming from Northern Ireland seemed to neutralize my accent <laughs> along with uh, an upbringing in Somerset. I have none of those things, so it's relatively neutral. So when I was establishing my business uh, to begin with, I thought it would be very clear to make my offering so that if anyone thought, oh, what? so what kind of accent do you do? I'm like, okay, well, check out the name of the website and hopefully that'll offer some kind of clarity because I, I kind of like started building building my business specifically with my natural accent, because I think we're all looking for authenticity Indeed. with a capital A. Um, nothing worse than someone trying an accent, but you go, mm, there's not something quite right here. I think we can all feel it. I think that, you know, the threshold has, has lowered. People can really feel that inauthenticity to a degree. So even though I do do a lot of accents, I've done a lot of accents with stage work, and I still do a lot of accents with kind of like character work, especially in the corporate sphere, which is where a lot of my work is. I just work in my natural accent. That's part of what I wanted my offering to be. And there are associations with that accent. And I'm sure some of your listeners might already have some associations with someone who speaks like me. Some people think, oh, he speaks proper. And they may have both positive and negative connotations with that. Indeed. And uh, yeah, and I think Whereas a lot, you know, actors tend to want to be, darling, I want to be, we always say darling, don't we? We don't, yeah. we don't, we're not all lovies. Uh, <laughs> really, honestly. Uh, he does protest too much. Um, you know, uh, there's this, we want to think that we can play anything. And, and yeah, sure. I mean, that's great and that's fine. But I think sometimes it can be really useful to actually find your niche. And so for me, it was kind of like a process of learning from the market what people associated with my voice and therefore what kind of work was most suitable. So there was a lot of work that found me that I didn't really even realize um, was out there. And that was in kind of the corporate 
you know, the, the corporate sphere, particularly, there seemed to be quite a lot of demand for my voice in that area. Yeah. So I kind of doubled down on that first and foremost, and then I've tried to kind of diversify as my business is consolidated as a result. Indeed, because what I find fascinating is that when I looked at your website, and we'll come back to that a bit later, mm. the fact that you, when I've worked out what RP meant, well, uh, this is fantastic SEO. It's all about trying to make that whole process of people searching as frictionless as possible, essentially, because people will, when they're working on a particular project, they'll already have a voice in their head. Mm. And obviously that can be subject to change through kind of feedback and, you know, opening discussions and all of those kind of things, of course. But I think that there's uh, can be a real kind of like benefit in going, this is the main thing that I offer. And yes, obviously, I've got a huge range within that and I'm going to be trying to bring different things to it. But in terms of the sound, which is one thing, it's not the thing I think about voiceover, but it is one important thing to be able to, for people to identify and go, I've got a clear handle of what it is that you offer. Great, I can place you in the market. And then I've got you as a reference there rather than you seem to be a jack of all trades and a master of a few, but I'm not quite sure which, uh, you know, because it's all about trying to be as memorable as possible. And so my aim is to kind of have that backed up with how I sound, obviously, and then also on my website. On my website, I'm a man dressed in a suit with a teacup. And some people would think that's a little kind of risky or maybe a little bit old fashioned. It kind of harkens back to an, an older idea of what corporate used to be, where, you know, stuffy offices and people dressed up to the nines and it all being a bit kind of stayed in a bit stiff and a little bit overly professional and self-conscious, that kind of thing. I think hopefully with the teacup, because I'm British, it works as a shorthand, but also hopefully there's a bit of... um with a, a little bit of a twinkle there, a bit of self-awareness in terms of like, yeah, there's this idea of Britishness that works and we can explore that as well. But there are other things. But hopefully my examples of work and the people that I've worked for and the projects that I've worked on shows that I've got I've got more range than that as well. I think it's important about presentation because I think obviously your work is business to business and or business to consumer. The thing is, especially in business to business, even though we like to say that we have moved away from the stuffy type of image, mm. I don't necessarily believe that to be true because I believe that to a certain extent, the higher you get up in business, the more people are more or become more formal. Mm, I don't yeah. think that ever goes away. I think if you are a tech bro, as it were, then you are going to dress in a particular way. But when you get to a particular point, you need to find a suit and tie pretty sharpish. Yeah, I mean, sometimes definitely it was a struggle for me. I, I didn't own uh, a suit before I did that photo shoot, uh, which probably is an insight into the smoke and mirrors behind my whole brand. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, but I mean, I, I think there's certainly when there's when there's a lot of money on the table, mm. potentially, you're dealing with the status of an entire organization as opposed to just an individual. I mean, there's a whole thing about personal branding. Of course. And the value of personal branding, even within a wider organization. There are certain associations, and I think, yes, yeah, some of them will be negative, but some of them are also very reassuring and very positive. And that's what I kind of wanted to kind of like straddle in terms of, you know, I'm not a crazy bohemian, despite being an actor, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to pretend to be. I mean, my whole 
my whole intent behind it is to affect people emotionally in one way or the other. Because if I affect you emotionally, then I can get you to do stuff. And as sinister as that may sound in certain contexts, that's the whole point of all of the content that's put out there. Of course. It may be that, yeah, yeah it may be that I want you to buy something or that I want you to take, you know, take on board certain kind of like information, but whether or not it's education or to be entertained or to be moved in some kind of like way. It's that emotional undercurrent that runs through all of those kind of things, which I think is relevant to you know any form of marketing and content creation and outreach that we do um so it's always a kind of like a fine balancing act but i thought it was it was worth it as a handle because the alternative is that i'm just another person posing with a microphone yes. and there and there are loads of people first of all there are loads of voice actors out there already where you, as soon as you get on the website it's like here's a microphone just in case you weren't aware of the association of what voice actors do. But for me, what it does is it kind of, it places the emphasis on the wrong thing. For me, it places the emphasis on the mechanics, which should be as a given, which is that, yes, I can deliver a high quality sound and I sound nice and that's great and whatever, but it's actually, hopefully, what I can do as a communicator that is going to be of the real value there rather than just like, yeah, it sounds nice. It's got a nice voice and that's it. So I, I think it was trying to subtly shift things in how I was being viewed at the same time as placing myself in the market in a very kind of clear and hopefully memorable way. You mentioned earlier in our conversation about how things had changed during the lockdown period. During that period, as with a lot of things that were happening at the time, there was a big upsurge in podcasters posing with microphones. Loads and loads of people launched podcasts and loads and loads of people then stopped podcasts. Mm. When you started your career, were you actually going into studios to do your recording? When I was working through my acting agent, almost exclusively so, yes, I was. So it was only really, I did set up my own home studio pre-COVID, back in about probably 20, 2017 when my business kind of fully started. Uh, but my home studio, it's very much an in inverted commas. My home studio is not something that I would ever have shown to someone uh, because it basically involves the usual stuff of, I will take the duvet off my bed and I will drape it around a chair that is over my head just to make sure that, you know, it's going to cut out a lot of the ref sound reflections as a result. And I will go to the quietest area in my entire flat and kind of just kind of like shrink down into it just to make sure that I can just about fit and just about breathe in it and then work from there, which is obviously very different to going into a proper professional studio where you've got room to maneuver and all of these kinds of things. And then the process of my own studio builds i mean i've gone through various different iterations and there's um on the blog on my website i do have an incriminating photo of what my first setup was which was my duvet like held up behind me by uh an oar uh that that one of my flatmates at the time had stolen on a drunken night out <laughs> which is just like lying around in our living room and one day I was like, I need something that is weight bearing, but also really tall. I wonder what I could find on a budget of nothing. And I was like, maybe the ore. Uh, so kind of like prop that up behind me. And then, you know, the usual duvet over the top. 
just don't breathe too hard and it'll be absolutely fine. And that was the first iteration of my recording space. I recorded some stuff for one of my very first clients was an architectural firm. You know, I did a whole raft of explainer videos for them through that and they were absolutely delighted. It was one of the best paid jobs that I've ever had. It was a means to an end. And then I have over the course of the last few years kind of developed and developed and developed because I wanted my home studio to facilitate every aspect of my business as much as possible. So now I have a completely sound treated room, which also has natural light. And as I'm sure anybody who's uh, ever played around with trying to record from home to a certain quality is that quite often you find yourself in these dark confined spaces because that's where they are the quietest. But it also means that's where they're the darkest they tend to be. So you've got lots of artificial light, which isn't very conducive to your mindset, your emotional mood, generally speaking. So I thought what I would want in my ideal perfect studio is to have natural light kind of being able to stream through at the same time and also space to swing a cat or more especially you know with some of the character work that I do you need to use your body you don't want to be locked in one position going I can't move you know more than a foot away from the mic because people are going to hear the room or hear or hear the fabric around me kind of like going off and that's going to distract from the quality of the recording so my main concern then was making sure that I could build a completely soundproof space and I actually hired a contractor who specialize in these type of builds and we we had a spare bedroom so that's been converted so it's completely there's like uh there's a there's a fake floor uh, an additional floor underneath me there's a uh, there's a, an additional wall outside as well as another set of windows to make sure that it's all completely insulated and then i've got these kind of like big fancy panels both above me and on every side of the room as well just to make sure that there's no reverb but it means that i've got the space to breathe and the space to inhabit characters in whatever way shape or form and that obviously makes my job a lot easier because then i can actually focus on the performance and the telling and the communication as opposed to i hope this sounds okay uh, i hope they didn't hear that train running past and all of that kind of thing when did it become like a lot of us a situation where you effectively working from home mm on a full-time basis. Was there a particular tipping point when that happened? Yes, I mean, it's partly, it's, it's, it was an easier decision for me to make because as a jobbing actor, I did not have the security, security real or imagined, of a full-time job which gave me a guaranteed level of income. When I started out properly investigating the feasibility of voiceover, I had the occasional acting job, obviously, that's always nice, but in theatre, not necessarily particularly well paid either. So it's certainly not for the money that you do that kind of work. And then my resting work was all zero hour contract work. So this was like working on the wrong side of, you know, box offices and front of house and bars and all of this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't exactly any kind of security that I was giving up. So as I started to record from home and started to build clients, build my client list and get more and more kind of in, it didn't take much for me to go, okay, I actually need to give up all of these other jobs in order to be able to just go full at it with the voiceover because I know the more hours that I put into this, the more I'm getting back. And I think this was the big change for me was that whereas 
rightly or wrongly, as an actor, as just a jobbing actor, you can feel very disempowered by your work because you're completely at the uh, beck and call of casting directors and agents and all of that kind of thing. With a voice actor, you, you're actually in control of doing all of the marketing and all of the outreach yourself. So I found that aspect of my journey incredibly empowering. And that's what I was really kind of like passionate about, the fact that I could, the more that I put myself out there, the more was actually coming my way as a result. And I found that very exciting. So within about six months of starting to record from home, I was making more money than I'd ever made consistently as an actor, as just an actor. And so therefore I went, I need to be all in because clients need you to be available. The vast majority of work that I do, the turnover time is within 24 hours or same day or that kind of thing. And so making yourself available for that is probably one of the toughest things for a lot of voice actors starting out to do because they're working full time and then they're trying to do all of their recording in the three or four hours they have after dinner. I didn't have that problem to the same degree. And so I wanted to kind of like uh, accelerate that journey as quickly as possible. So you are now in a position where you've had your actor training. You are getting voiceover work. You're sitting in the room with Patrick Stewart. I don't know if he said anything to you. Did he say hi or... He just said hi. Yeah, yes, yeah, he was yeah. very nice. He was he was very nice. He was very nice. But I didn't want her to disturb him yeah. too much. Yeah, I, I'm like that when I see famous people. Yeah, but he comes across as a really nice guy. Yes. And I get the feeling that you've obviously made that progression and now you're self-employed. You're finding the freedom of that. And obviously, this is the cash flow show. We're always looking at the business aspect of it. The skills are not just about having the voice or being able to inhibit the character. Mm. You've also got a problem now, and obviously to which you found the solution, of being your own engineer yes. or own recording engineer. Yeah. How was that challenge for you? It was, it was quite big because, again, I'm not in any way technically adept, really, more than any of us are. So I think I started recording on a free program called Audacity, which a lot of people still use. Um, so completely, it's kind of freeware, essentially. You can download it and it looks pig ugly, but it works. <laughs> and so therefore, that's okay. That's all right. I then kind of like collaborated with a number of different audio engineers to get their kind of outside perspective and their ear on it. Because... You don't really know what you're listening for when you're starting out. So you need to educate yourself on what the quality of the sound is. And, you know, if you change anything in your setup, can you hear the difference in it? And when I was starting out, I was like, I can't, I don't know. I mean, it sounds okay to me. It's my voice, right? It's okay. Uh, and it's only through hours and hours and hours and hours of listening to the audio that you actually get a real sensitivity to, oh no, they're, they're in a really big room and I can hear that room. Now I've got uh, a terrible tolerance for, you know, for example, if I see an advert where it's visually absolutely stunning, but they've done the sound in a weird kind of way. There's been a weird mix or they've recorded it in a huge space, but then they haven't treated it subsequently in post in any kind of way. So you can hear the room. My tolerance for that is just so low as a result because you become a bit of a kind of an audio connoisseur. So it was about striking a balance in terms of like, I need to learn these things so that I can be a problem solver within my business as well. If something... So, you know, halfway through a live directed session and I've got like 12 different people on a call at the same time and something goes wrong. 
uh, you know, either a computer decides to not work or a program freezes, you know, all of those kind of things, which generally gives, you know, the whole idea of me palpitations immediately, then I need to be able to know, well, I've got a backup here, and I can swap this out. And through a process of elimination, I've, you're, you're familiar with what what they call your audio chain. So the the chain being, you know, from your microphone to your preamp, which helps y- your microphone talk to your computer, Correct. Uh, to your headphones and all, all of those different things, that you understand how each part of your chain works, uh, how to optimize it best. So I've got various different kind of like presets as well. Normally some, uh, the vast majority of my clients just want the raw sound because they're going to, do their magic on their side of things. But increasingly, as I'm dealing with a lot of businesses where they're coming directly to a voiceover artist rather than through a production company, they want something more ready to go. Of course. So that so so in which case to be to have the facility to go like, okay, so what kind of music are you using? Okay, therefore I need to compress my voice in a certain way as a result. So that essentially the dynamic range of my voice is less. So it's punchier. So it can punch through that musical bed that you want to use in in some way, shape or form. So then I can offer a different solutions to them so that, you know, if they want like three different versions of the same voiceover with different musical beds, which very massively, I can offer it to them. And I think that's what's interesting about the work that you do. There is a technical side to it. I think a lot of people are very much of the idea this person just speaks into a microphone Mm. or inhabits a character. But now being self-employed as a voiceover artist is really, you are an artist. It's a hell of a lot of competition. Yep, uh, and the th- and the thing is, we're taking on board all of this media generally through headphones now. So you know the uh, so we can hear it. Uh, you know when we listen to podcasts ourselves and all of these uh, all of these kind of things because we're listening to them. You know through our Bluetooth speakers or whatever. But you can hear it when a quality suddenly kind of drops off in some way, shape, or form, and that that does have it. Just has a huge impact on whether or not people subsequently engage with that content going forward or whether or not they go i can't i can't listen to this i'm going to move on into the next thing because the whole standard has been raised so much because the technology is readily available now and the expertise is readily available now it's just kind of part of your job so you got to get to it it's it's kind of the least sexy side to it at all it's like do you know what you're doing with eq and compression or noise gating if you go that way or all of these kind of like things because you're trying to solve different problems for different kind of people and different types of content are going to require different things i'm not going to i'm not going to treat um the audio of uh, an audiobook narration in the same way that i do a promo or in the same way that i do a video game character because you know they're in completely different contexts and they're for, a, for they're for completely different purposes so you need to have that level of flexibility And you can only do that through educating yourself about it. Yeah. Of course, very much so. Now, we've spent quite a bit of time working and talking through your work at Naturally RP. Mm. So I wanted to sidestep that now and start to talk to you more about the things that you like to do when you're not doing your voiceover work and you're not doing your voice acting work. And we're moving on to the section called What Are You Like? Okay. And... um, I need a jingle for that. I do. Um, What are you like? Obviously, you may have heard before is where we ask our guest to talk about their favorite book, their favorite business book, their favorite 
film, their favourite album, and get the reasons why they have chosen that particular media and also what it means to them. So you were kind enough to very neatly fill in all of your choices here. So we're going to start with your favourite book, which is you've got The Wind Up Bird Chronicles by, I've been pronouncing this, mm. Haruki Murakami. Yeah, that's very good. Well done. Uh, I'd, I'd certainly take that. Yes. Um, yeah, The Wind Up Bird Chronicles. Uh, I mean, it's very interesting because it's, uh, I mean, it's it's one of those books which is about a lot of different things. Initially, it's about a man looking for a cat. Uh, and I have a studio cat that basically is my full-time companion. She's not here right now because she's asleep on my bed, which is where she spends 75% of the time. But I could immediately identify with the protagonist in that respect because I'm quite often hunting for my cat. But apart from that, I suppose the relevance to it, kind of why it kind of like chimed with me, because it's a book that looks about like what's properly your desire, what's your real passion. And I think that's, that's a particularly resonant subject that we all think about because there are all these discussions about do you, do you try and make a career ab about what you love doing? or about what you're good at. Ah. Because, you know, in an ideal world, those two just kind of like, there's that sweet spot. And it's like, oh, I just happen to be amazingly gifted at the one thing uh, that I'm good at and can make uh, a sustainable income on. Happy days. Doesn't happen to all of us. So, I mean, that's not the entirety of what that book is about. I mean, it's also about alienation. And hey, I'm working from home and talking to myself the vast majority of the day. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm all ears in that respect as well. But yeah, I think where personal satisfaction and, you know, passion kind of like meets, yeah, but what's the skill set that I can engage to, you know, build a career and build a business from at the same time? And uh, there's the um, writer and academic Scott Galloway, who actually is on YouTube about all of these things as well. He basically discounts this whole notion that we should all just blindly follow our passion, but actually get good at what you're good at and then be able to leverage that. I sit somewhere in between. And I think voiceover kind of fits that in a lot of ways for me. It's in terms of like, acting is my passion, definitely, in any way, shape or form. Voice acting has been by far the most empowering career for me at the same time. And so it's being able to, now that I've got these quite solid kind of income streams coming from established clients, it's about me looking into these other opportunities for creativity within the voiceover realm that kind of like scratches that acting itch for me as well. So that whole kind of like diversifying and trying to find a balance for yourself. That is the reason why that book appealed to me, I think, really. Excellent. Now, you've also got The Seven Deadly Sins by David Walsh. Yes. Yeah. No, that's now that's that's to do with Lance Armstrong. And I find him a fascinating character. And why is that? Uh, uh, well, I pl I played him on stage in a stage adaptation uh, play called Pedal Pusher. And for me, the interesting thing about a character such as him, someone who was completely lionized, and then, you know, all of these revelations about, yeah, I took those drugs. I bullied people and I got people sacked. And I did all of these horrendous things to further my own agenda. He's a really interesting character as a result, I, I found. And I think that's partly to do with, you know, the age-old question of where do you draw that line between being so driven about something? What would the, you know, you'd almost sacrifice anything in order to achieve it. And uh, playing him as a character in, the, in this play, which was mainly made up of texts and interviews 
of words that he'd actually said. So rather than, you know, a writer just going away and like, oh, I think he might have had this kind of like dialogue. It was mainly through reportage, actual reportage, because there's so much out there as well. Mm. And you, you kind of delve into the, psycholog- uh, the psychology of someone like Lance Armstrong, and you realize that you know he came from he came from a difficult upbringing and he built his entire identity his entire identity around the one thing that he was good at which was the cycling so it's this huge thing and you know he's got a very strong relationship with his mother which is built purely off the basis of his prowess at this one thing and then he reaches a certain point where he realizes that he can't progress unless he unless he takes drugs because everybody else at that time was on something. They just weren't doing it particularly well. So he had a choice to make. And, you know, it's the whole, whole acting cliche. It's like, there are no villains. You just need to be as sympathetic to your character, regardless of how evil they are. You know, find what their point of view is. So for me, going through and kind of in, interrogating how he reached the decision to do the things that he did, because he was like, my alternative is, is that I give up the cycling, and I give up this whole thing that basically determines who I am as an individual. So I make that sacrifice, or because I think I'm as good a cyclist as any of these people who are on drugs, I also get really good at taking the drugs mm-hmm. at the same time. And I deal with the devil, and I go all in. And then there are the wider complexities of for all of the terrible things that he definitely did do. He also did some amazing things, obviously, in terms of, you know, his work for cancer charities and all of that kind of thing. And he's still held up by certain people as this amazing self-made athlete, no compromises. You know, you see also, you, I don't know if you've seen the um, documentary, The Last Dance. Michael Jordan. Oh, Michael Jordan. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a, mu- a much more wholesome character altogether in a, many ways, I hasten to add. But that whole, that driven aspect that he had, the no compromises aspect that, you know, all top level professional athletes need to have. Mm. With Lance, it's kind of like, what if that just tips over in the wrong way? Yeah. What do you do? And I find I'm not, I'm not, I don't ever want to say that I'm apologizing or I think that he did the right thing. No, not at all. I think he's a, you know, borderline sociopath at the best of times. But it's fascinating to unpick that because I think we all go through various different versions of that kind of journey to ourselves in some kind of way. It's just a very extreme example. So delving into the skin of that kind of psychology so that then I could not be the Lance Armstrong of voiceover is probably the best. I don't dope with my voiceovers. They're completely clean. Uh, You know, I I think was a real, uh, I thought that was really fascinating because the whole job really about voice acting, about any acting, is taking on other people's shoes, other people's perspectives. That's the whole kind of job. And that's what I find really kind of fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because he was a fascinating character. And to be on, totally honest, if he hadn't have pushed it so far, he would have gotten away with it. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I mean, it's, and, you know, the, not exactly the megalomania, but he couldn't, he couldn't keep away from it. No. The, yeah, yeah, uh, and it's like the fact that he, that he did come back to the tour after having had that break because he couldn't, because his identity and his ego craved it. Like as soon as he stopped and retired, 
He was like, I've got nothing else. I need to go back. I need to win another one. And that's, he kind of like overplayed his hand essentially and then yes. got found out. Yeah. But yeah, he could have got away with it very yeah. definitely. I think so he would I have th- gotten away with it. I think he yep. would have gotten away with it quite easy. He could have then retired quite happily. But that mm. desire, as you said, once you've had a taste of that fame, I think it's very difficult yeah. to give up. It can be it can be intoxicating and it becomes a whole point of your identity. So the seven deadly sins comes from, you know, it's written from the perspective of a journalist who is, you know, ardently pursuing him whilst everybody else is going, say, leave this guy alone. Mm. He's just trying to do the right thing. He's recovered from cancer. He's this poster boy. Why do you strip down that idol that means so much to so many people who are recovering from cancer? Uh, You know, so there's there's a tension there. Yeah, because uh, because you know, whilst I completely agree with the journalist, uh, you know that it's 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 not purely black or white. Of course not, definite, and it never is. So yeah. you've got two favorite business books here: yep. uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear and Getting Things Done by James Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'll probably start in reverse order. Like Getting Things Done was the first thing that really kind of like sorted sorted me out it sorted me out <laughs> in, t- in terms of the you know especially as a freelancer when you've got your time all to yourself how on earth do you get anything done or prioritize it and you know what that book gives you is just it's a very clear system of you know you collecting everything in one place and then you reviewing it and you prioritizing it and you you instill whatever works for you something like the five minute rule of if it takes you five minutes then just do the task now rather than putting it on a to-do list um and then that kind of dovetails in with um atomic habits which is obviously such a kind of like a a productivity kind of like bible right now it's so hot right now um but you know that that's all of the different ways of being able to build systems mm. rather than just purely relying on your own motivation because I'm not motivated every day despite what people may think to step up to the mic sometimes I've had a not particularly great night's sleep or you know whatever and you're like oh really now I know I'm lucky to do this for a living for however long I can do this for a living and all of this kind of like stuff but I am lacking in enthusiasm or it's all really tense and all, you know, it it, it can be really stressful, especially in, in the quiet times. So being able to look at something like Atomic Habits, which shows all the different ways that we can build systems so that we can keep as consistent as possible, even when we're not feeling it, kind of decoupling the actions from motivation, I think has really been invaluable, invaluable to me as a as a business owner and as a freelancer. So now we move on to your favorite albums or singles. You've chosen albums and you've chosen two classics here, two modern classics. The first is OK Computer by Radiohead, which is starting to shape up to be the dark side of the moon of the <laughs> of the modern age. Yeah, true. And Sons, sorry, I love Songs of Faith and Devotion. Yes. By Depeche Mode. Yeah. Sorry, I love a bit of the mode. Definitely. Uh, Yeah, I mean, mode, it's just, there's pure nostalgia there. You get those 80s synths synths going and I'm, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a happy thing in a thing full of happy. I don't know. There's something that I just uh, love about that 80s sound, but, you know, Depeche Mode is the embodiment of that. My dad was a huge fan of Depeche Mode, so I've got loads of 
childhood memories of you know of, of him listening uh, to them and they were one of the first bands that i was able to see live and numerous times so they're just yeah i think they're uh, uh, such an amazing band and the fact that they've got that longevity as well i think is amazing they're, they're constantly reinventing themselves but they're always very depeche mode um uh whereas with okay computer i think that particular album is just because of how i can remember how completely left field it was at the time um, because Radiohead had just come off of the Benz, you know, their first kind of like breakthrough, their breakthrough second album. That's correct. Uh, yeah. And, it, you know, there was a certain kind of melancholic rock thing, but, you know, it, it, it was very kind of like bold and brash. And then when they were seemingly almost at the pinnacle to go like, okay, we're going to go complete when everybody else thinks we're going to zig, we're going to zag. And we're going to really take a massive risk. And yeah, we're going to have, uh, you know, a pop song, which is eight or nine minutes long and is essentially about 12 different songs. And all of this, uh, it's partly it's it's partly kind of just admiration at Tom York as a singer, because I think vocally he is just so distinctive and out there and other. But I think there's also that thing about what from an entrepreneurial standpoint, which I really like, is when everybody else is doing something, maybe try the opposite thing. And for me, in business as well, that's something that I try to apply as much as kind of possible. If if the vast majority of other voice actors or everything are kind of rushing to this one kind of thing, immediately interrogate the space that's left behind. Always have that process of experimentation in everything you do, whether or not it's in the marketing or, or whatever, you know, trying to think Think of these opportunities to stand out, to experiment, to c continue to kind of like build and stretch your skill set rather than going, I'm good at this thing. And so I'm just going to continue to bash out the work at this standard all the way through until nobody wants it anymore. Because that's the process of running a business is that you've always got to be negotiating about what the next new thing is. And for me, OK Computer is somewhat appropriate uh, where we're all kind of losing our minds about is AI going to take over the world? Yes. You know, chat GPT recently and Apple have released their first AI voiceover narration for their audiobooks on their store. You know, it's my job yeah. as a voice actor to make sure that I'm still relevant in the marketplace. And in a world where AI voice, there's an increasing appetite for it. There's an increased tolerance for it. You've got kids using an app like TikTok where text to speech, even at a basic level, is more than tolerated. Where do you find where your value is? And can you use that technology in any way um, to increase your offering? So, I mean, I'm currently in the process of having an AI version of my voice built by an AI voice company. And that's not to replace me and what I offer. But I think in the initial stages, it could be to do with speeding up aspects of my workflow, of course, where my, where my skill set isn't needed so much. And then there's also going to be, you know, there's some of the less exciting voiceover jobs, shall we say, mm -hmm. where it's kind of like you're doing a radio advertisement, but there are like 500 different versions yeah. because it's hyper personalized. So it could be in London, in Manchester, in Truro, wherever. So yeah, you could pay me to do it or I record the original thing. And then if you want, 350 different versions of it, AI Chris could do that for you. <laughs> sure. Or, you know, hyper-personalized adverts so it can say, hi, Clayton, yeah. as opposed to, hey there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it grabs the audience in a very different way. And so it's kind of appreciating that, okay, 
more marketers, more companies, and more businesses are going to be looking at how this could, you know, help with their offerings. So if in the future I can bring that as a voice acting talent, as a real life talent, and go, oh, by the way, if you want hyper personalization, yeah, I've got that for you, buddy. Absolutely no problem at all. Then that's then that that's another thing. So that's what I've taken from Radiohead, which I'm sure they weren't expecting. <laughs> well, they weren't. But the fact is, is that what they've also proved is if you have quality, then what will happen, people will resort and revert back to the quality. It's like with everything. We've yep. been, whether you're a vegan or you're not a vegan or whether you're a meat eater or not a meat eater, at some point, a lot of people are going to stop eating meat. However, mm. there are going to be a hardcore set of people who will either pay more mm. Or be more interested eating meat mm. because that's what they want. Yeah. Uh, so and therefore, with a lot of things, your idea about having an AI, Chris, is fantastic because a job that you can then knock out in a couple of hours, you could then concentrate on that half a day that you need mm. to necessarily do something that is needs to be specific and needs that human interest. Yeah, I think it's always, you know, we're always looking for those opportunities of, you know, outsourcing various different parts so that we can focus on the stuff that where we offer the best value. Mm. And for me, I want to be facilitating as much as possible. And I want to be able to, you know, some some clients will not require any kind of creative input from me. They know exactly what they want. And that's absolutely great. And that's absolutely fine. But I am also trying to place myself in a kind of content creation space so that I have an understanding of how algorithms work and how if you're creating a piece of content for TikTok as opposed to Instagram, as opposed to Twitter, as opposed to YouTube, as opposed to insert name of social platform or, you know, or Sky Ad Smart or whatever, these all work in different ways. Yes. And so having an awareness of that means that you can have you can have a, a conversation of actual depth and knowledge when it's required you know so again it's just being able to offer that added value as and when it's required so now we move on to your favorite films or box sets and you've chosen the classic blade runner hell yeah speaking of ai it's a theme it's yes. definitely a theme yeah and yeah. And, uh, and um replicants that's the word i'm looking for yes yes so, the replicants and you've also got breaking bad mm-hmm yep a parallel with Lance Armstrong where yeah. good man turns bandit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose that, I mean, maybe I'm revealing a little bit too much here. But yeah, I mean, I think in both, because I think, you know, with Blade Runner as well, the success of that, I think really is that by the end of it, spoilers for a film uh, that's, you know, been, been out for quite some time. But, you know, by the end of it, you're sympathetic to the replicant. Mm. And it's like, it's the replicant, it's the AI that is making you reflect on the potential inhumanity of the main character as played by Harrison Ford, exactly. who is, you know, this gumshoe, gun for hire. You need me to hunt down and kill somebody, something, then I'll just do it and I'll just keep doing it. So I love that playing with the genre as well as the aesthetics, as well as the synths, as well as the score. My God. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it but, is. It, uh, but, but that ambiguity, I find absolutely kind of like fascinating, as well as the whole kind of like aesthetics. And similarly with uh, Breaking Bad, I mean, the performances in that are just amazing. But again, it's kind of getting in under the skin about what people are capable of. And also, you know, how the psychology, that whole psychological kind of shift that Walter White undergoes and how he becomes this 
thing that he needs to kind of continue to maintain and feed and play up to because you know he starts as a very downtrodden guy who's you know a victim all of the time he becomes like the ultimate super bad badass mm. villain ever and there's and you as an audience are taken on and love it but also hate it at the same time. And I think I think that's the fascinating thing is in those ambiguities. It's not just, you know, the black or the white. It really kind of like operates on a really interesting kind of level. So, yeah, that's that's me. It's all about those nasty people <laughs> and the ambiguities, really. That's, that's what I'm about. <laughs> so now we're getting towards the end of our time together here on the Cashflow Show. And I wanted to... Talk to you about the challenges of being an entrepreneur. And effectively, once upon a time, if you were a voice actor, you've had an agent and they found you the work and you had, obviously you had an accountant that did your taxes and you had a lawyer that looked at your contracts. Mm. And nowadays everything really is done in-house, in the house, as it were. Very literally, yes. <laughs> so... What kind of pressure does that put on you as an individual? I mean, it's big. It is big. And so I think it's always uh, that balancing act in terms of, I mean, I've still got a very good accountant, so who I would always be incredibly grateful for. And I think it's finding those finding those mentors, uh, I think, with any, any business that you operate. And they don't necessarily need to solely exist in within the industry that you work as well. I have like I have a, a group of, you know, voiceover mentors, I would say people that I look up to and people that I admire and people whose whose advice I always kind of like listen to. But I think it's always as well having that outside perspective in terms of what's going on in the wider world. Who, who are the people that excite me and stimulate me in other fields so that I feel that I can I can bring my best in my industry as a result of that. So a lot of it is partly to do with that journey about making sure that I'm I'm always listening to what my clients' needs really are. And very often that's just, we want a nice voice to say a good thing clearly and communicate in a humane way. That's the job. I'm like, okay, fine, great. Storytelling 101. Here I am. Strap yourself in. But also there can be other things. And I think ultimately it's about that human connection. Uh, and that's what I kind of like strive for most. It's always about, you know, spinning plates and it can all be quite overwhelming. But then I go back to those artists who, you know, kind of really stayed with me and and seeing their journeys and, you know, that constant focus on the quality, constant focus on the innovation and never feeling as if you're just standing still, always feeling as if you're moving forward. Where is the market going to be going? Where are the demands going to be in the next 10, 15, 20 years? So I can try and future proof myself as much as possible. And then also the atomic habit stuff, which is just kind of like, Still make sure that you're you're doing the washing up uh, and you're doing the exercise and you're yeah. taking the walk and you're looking after your mental health. You know, my whole big thing this year, I'm one of those people who's a bit of an ardent time blocker. So I'm just like, okay, so from between, you know, 10 to 11, I'm doing this. And then from 11 till 12, I'm going for my walk and then blah, 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 blah. All of those kind of things. And it's just setting up a system, not so that it's locked in and I have to abide by it but so that I feel as if I can manage it and manage my time in the most effective way possible, dealing with the stuff that really needs getting done, as opposed to being distracted by the busyness. 
because we all have those tasks which keep us busy but aren't necessarily that productive. Yes, indeed. That's where something like the outsourcing does obviously kind of come in and it's crucial. And that's when you need to go, in order to grow, I need to take these tasks away and pay someone else to do them so that I can focus on the real value stuff. So I want to close off with two quick fire questions. Sure. Which voice actor or which voice actors do you most admire? Mm-hmm. Number one. And number two, what would you do if you weren't a voice actor? Okay. So a uh, voice actor that I really admire, there's a guy called Troy Baker, who is a, he's mainly active in the video game space, really. But I would say if you haven't already kind of like Google and check out his work, but he was the original actor who played the main lead role of Joel in a game called The Last of Us, which is obviously just had this huge, big kind of HBO adaptation and it's allegedly like potentially the most successful adaptation of a game into a tv series that has happened thus far certainly critically and i think also commercially as well it seems to have set a new bar as well but his performance to me kind of like brought home how a real grounded authentic kind of performance is required in something like voice acting. It's not all about heightened characters. I mean, that's obviously a skill set. And, you know, there are people who completely blow blow that away. I do the odd demon, you know, I've got some range, darling, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of like real kind of like gravitas and the way he's kind of like pushed the boundaries with just that performance, but in everything he does, that's really a big one for me. If I wasn't a voice actor, I think I'd probably end up in education in some way. I think I'd end up teaching because I enjoy it. Uh, I come from a family of teachers, and both of my parents as teachers said, Chris, we are universally supportive of anything that you do as long as that you don't become a teacher. (laughs) Because as with so many careers, the job has changed since when I got started. It's all about admin and form filling now. It's not about, you know, getting through to the kids and making a real difference. (laughs) So there is that caveat, because I think that's only got worse. But I would say, like, I've created a few online courses on a platform called Skillshare, which is free um, uh, for people who are interested in uh, voiceover acting. But just generally, uh, you know, I think coming coming from that kind of like background, I thrive on communication uh, and being able to, you know, explain and guide people as much as, as possible and being able to take things take people's kind of like problems and scenarios and kind of work them through in a personalized kind of way. So some form of teaching would probably be, would probably be my bag because I do, I do a lot of that kind of stuff in voiceover anyway as well, whether or not that's, you know, make sure that you handle this machinery with care. Uh, Don't put, don't put your hand into that thing because that's bad, (laughs) you know, all the way through to kind of like mental health and awareness and, you know, uh, meditation and mindfulness. Whereas I don't feel as if I have a particular expertise in any one thing, I think there's a skill set there that I would, I would, you know, whether or not there's a microphone at the end of it with a recording sign going off or not, um, that's something that, I, that I would always have to be part of my day-to-day existence, yeah. If people are listening to this, either members of the Cashflow crew or the wider audience, because we've got um, people listening in Albania now. Um, uh, it's Yeah, it's really, really, really nice. Oh, hello, Albanian people. I don't know your language, but hello there. Uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi, yeah, hi. It's, it's going to be a great experience for them to be able to hear you, but also what if they'd like to contact you going forward? How would people be able to contact you at Naturally RP? 
Sure, yeah. So my website is uh, naturallyrp.co.uk. If you Google British Mail voiceover, my SEO means that you, uh, you should see me on the first page anyway. My full name's Chris Tester, and my email is just chris at naturallyrp.co.uk. And I'm Chris Tester on LinkedIn as well, which is where I'm probably most active in terms of social platforms there, and also bizarrely on TikTok. TikTok, I'm a Chris Naturally RP as well. So Chris, Naturally RP, you'll find me one way or the other. And yet yeah, I'm usually respond same working day. Good. Excellent. Because all, all of these will be in the show notes anyway. So people Lovely. will look at the Thank show you. notes on, on whatever, um, podcast platform that you're on. You'll be able to see all of this information and contact Chris for all of that voiceover work. Sure. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Cashflow Show. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. And literally, it'd be great hearing you um, uh, through the airwaves in the very near future. Thank you so much, Clayton. It's been a real pleasure talking to you too. Thank you. You're most welcome. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today. But I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.